As we gather this Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of the Christ child, it may just be me, but I can scarcely remember a time when things seemed so uncertain, when the world seemed so dim. Sure, there was the Christmas of 2001 when we had just endured the horrors of the 9-11 attacks, but there was a national unity then that there isn't now. Rather, we're in a world of raging wars, an ongoing mental health crisis, skyrocketing rates of death due to addiction and suicide, threats of violence, deeply felt economic uncertainty, and the loss of community, exacerbated by the COVID pandemic, which we've just emerged from, it seems. And on top of that, we may be dealing with our own personal losses, with grief, sickness, or tragedy. The world may feel particularly inhospitable, violent, and dark now. At least it does to this preacher. But God's people have been in dark places before. And at the time our reading from Isaiah was written, God's people faced extinction and assimilation at the hands of the Assyrians, who had an empire from Persia to Egypt. And they were a brutal empire. They conquered cities, exiled inhabitants, and demanded exorbitant tribute payments. Things looked pretty bad at that time for God's people. Yet amid the gloom, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a future king, an heir who would break their oppressor's hold over them, one who would destroy all raiment of war, tramping boots and blood-stained garments, one who would bring exultation, joy, and rejoicing, one who would reign with endless peace, endless peace, Isaiah was so confident in this vision that he describes it in the perfect tense. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. Isaiah may be looking at a world in which death, defeat, and destruction seem inevitable. And yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he uttered these words of hope among the despair of the time. The darkness wasn't any less the night Jesus was born. For generations, the Jews of Palestine had endured imperial rule after imperial rule. The current game in town was Rome, led by Octavian, who styled himself Augustus, translated majestic. The local power was the client King Herod, a paranoid tyrant who had no compunction about murdering family members who crossed him. And while there was some peace, it was a peace enforced at the point of a sword. In this context, Mary and Joseph were sent south some 90 miles to Bethlehem so that they could be taxed properly. Never mind that David's line had been, for all practical purposes, extinct for six centuries. Never mind that these were poor, humble folk. By situating Jesus' birth in the middle of a census, Luke tells us that even the Holy Family were at the mercy of the powers of the world, a world that had no room for them. Even before Jesus was born, the world held out the no vacancy sign. 
which the grown-up Jesus would later lament, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Mary improvised using a feeding trough in which to lay her son. She scavenged some strips of cloth to wrap around him, to keep him warm. No feather bed for this little one. Yet this little child was acclaimed as Savior, Messiah, and finally Lord by God's angels, who appeared to the first century equivalent of blue-collar workers, the shepherds. I think of truck drivers in particular. They spent long hours away from home. They endured bad food, almost certainly. How much, how much mutton can you eat? I mean, really. And they enjoyed little access. They probably didn't enjoy regular access to bathing facilities. The good news of the child's birth is first given to these people who are on the margins of society, doing a thankless job, a vital job, but a thankless one. But rather than the shepherds themselves, let's consider what the angels called Jesus. The first two titles given to the child by the angels are not all that surprising for the ancient world. Plenty of rulers styled themselves as savior or deliverer of their people especially those awful descendants of Alexander the Great. They all called themselves savior of one thing or another. In the meantime, they were usually fighting amongst themselves rather than saving anyone. Augustus himself was no exception. He was called savior of the world at one point. Plenty of important people were also styled Messiah or chosen one. Kings and priests were messiahed with, at their anointing with oil for a particular office. Augustus himself seems to have chosen this sort of title in imperial propaganda as chosen by the gods. However, it's the third title that gives it away and tells us what kind of savior and messiah this Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. The word Lord, Hebrew and Greek, is a placeholder for the divine name, usually pronounced Yahweh. When Jesus is acclaimed as Lord, that tells us that this is no Savior or Messiah after the way of the world. This is the one unique Savior and Messiah of the whole world, God in the flesh. Jesus, Son of God and God the Son, is sent to, to save all people from their captivity to sin and death, and especially those who are oppressed and brutalized by the powerful. It's all in his mother's song, which we heard this morning. We recited it together. You've cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. You have fed the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Jesus is God's chosen, not simply to fulfill a particular office or to enact, be in a particular role, but to bring God's reign to earth for good. And he is Lord, not of a particular geographic region, not of a particular people, not of a certain political reality, but with his Father and their spirit, he is the Lord God who led his people out of Egypt, who guided them into the promised land, 
who set them judges and prophets to protect them and to keep them following God's ways. This is the kind of Savior and Messiah Jesus is. This is the news that the shepherds receive at that dim time. Despite the darkness of the world, the new light was shining, not from the comfort of a palace or the splendor of a temple, but from a feeding trough. Jesus, the Messiah, was in the world, and nothing could ever be the same. The old order had received notice. Its days were numbered. And though our world may be dimmed, things do not continue as they have. For Christ is still in this world, and we are his God-bearers as Mary was. As the body of Christ, we are entrusted with the good news like the shepherds were. We are given the hope that endures, not in a regime to our liking or in our wealth or in societal privilege or in anything else, but only in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. To borrow a phrase from John's Gospel, he is our perpetual light in the darkness. And the darkness will never overcome that light. Amen.